Welcome to the Walk Worthy Podcast, a podcast by Hespler Baptist Church, located in Cambridge, Ontario. Our local church exists to make disciples who walk worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of God the Father. We hope and pray that this is an encouragement to you and to anyone else you share this with. those of you who don't know me, my name is Sean. I also serve here as one of the pastors with great joy and a sense of the great privilege that it is to uh, worship and serve the Lord among you as we have been able to do this morning as we add our voices together in the praise of his name. I have the uh, joy of uh, introducing our guest preacher this morning, our guest speaker, uh, Brad Buser, who is here with his wife Beth from San from, uh, San Diego, California. Uh, they spent over 20 years planting a church among the Atari people in Papua New Guinea. After the Atari church could function on its own, they returned to San Diego, where Brad was the missions pastor at Claremont Emanuel. In that role, he observed a disturbing, increasing attrition rate among missionaries. And along with some other like-minded pastors and others in the mission community, identified the need for a quality, cross-cultural training for missionary candidates. After years of research and prayer, Radius was born. Brad is the primary church planting instructor at Radius, and together he and Beth lead and disciple a community group. They also travel extensively around the U.S. speaking at conferences and churches. Brad and Beth have four married children and enjoy spending as much time as possible with them and their 10 grandchildren. My first exposure to Radius International was through a Together for the Gospel conference, and some of the concerns that I was seeing in the landscape of missions, and I appreciated greatly the way that Radius was interacting and responding to some of the current landscape. And so we reached out to them to see if they would be able to send someone uh, to us, have someone come for our missions conference, and uh, I'm absolutely thrilled that we have Brad and Beth with us. Brother, it's been great to talk with you these last couple of days. I've enjoyed your fellowship immensely. Look forward to more of that. Church, will you please warmly welcome Brad as he comes to minister to us. Appreciate it. It is a privilege to be here. Uh, we've enjoyed being in your beautiful neck of the woods. <clears throat> this is uh, vastly different than San Diego. We basically live in a desert down there. Uh, for those who have been there, that is irrigated by water from Northern California. That's our biggest utility bill, is our water bill, because we have none of our own. Anyway, it's been a joy to be with you uh, this weekend. And uh, yeah, we're gonna show you a video. Uh, 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 Sean gave a great overview there. Uh, my wife and I, we uh, arrived in Papua New Guinea in 1979. Uh, I was 23 years old, she was 22 years old. Uh, we had two children, we were terrified. And uh, we had to learn the first language of the country, which is Melanesian. So we learned that first language while we were living on the coast. 
And uh, I was making survey trips interior because the coastlines of uh, Papua New Guinea uh, have churches. The gospel is there. Uh, but there, are, uh, there were at that time, and there still are, about 860 different languages in that country. And about half of them did not have any access to the gospel. And that was our goal, was to go interior and to bring the gospel to one of those language groups. So anyway, what we're going to do is show you a video. Now, I'm sure you guys have seen many, many videos before. This is not a high-quality video. This is a homemade video. So cut me a little slack. It's actual, uh, actual footage that we shot. And uh, anyway, it'll give you a little overview of what we did there for 20 years. We're going to try to encapsulate it, and it'll give you an idea. Uh, by the way, uh, yeah, we were a lot younger then, so I had hair. I didn't have this big belly. Uh, we just looked a lot differently. And uh, the video starts as you're hiking into uh, to our house. You're about two minutes from our house, and uh, the sounds of the jungle, you'll hear them. And it'll just, like I said, just give you a little overview. After that, we're going to get into God's Word. All right, well, that gives you a visual on uh, what we looked like a long time ago, uh, where we lived, a little bit of our kids, and, uh, yeah, our housing. Um, you know, when, gosh, I remember when I was a kid, my mom used to take me out to Sunday school, and uh, once a year, they'd have a missions week and something like that, and I couldn't believe it. Like, why does a person go to a place like that? You know, this is nuts. Uh, I, I guess in my figuring, uh, man, couldn't you get a real job? Uh, didn't you have any friends? Did you get beat up a lot as a kid? You know, something like that. I, I just couldn't figure these guys out. And uh, I didn't have to, my dad was in the Navy, and pretty soon we moved down to San Diego. He considered me a young man. I didn't have to go to church anymore. Uh, grew up about two miles from the ocean, surfing my brains out, loving life. And um, my best friend, he became a Christian. And uh, he invited me to this uh, church. I hadn't been in a church in years. And I uh, came to this uh, meeting on a Wednesday night. There were about 750 high school folks uh, at this meeting and uh, to listen to this youth pastor. And uh, the way that man shared the gospel kept me from becoming a Christian. Uh, he didn't share the gospel every uh, Wednesday night, but when he did share it, it went like this. What Christ did on that cross, there's nothing you can do to add to it. His blood pays for your sin. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. All you can do is fall on your knees and say, thank you, God, and accept it as a gift that it is. But you do need to understand that once you accept that gift, your life is over. You have no future. You have no rights. It's all about him from that moment on. So think it through. Think it through. And I did. I thought it through for over six months. I kept coming back and listening to him. And finally, I just tired of, I got tired of realizing I'm going to go to hell. I'm literally going to burn and go to hell for all the stuff I was doing. And I accepted Christ as my Savior at the beginning of my senior year in high school. I didn't know what it would mean. I didn't stand up and shout and cry. I'm not wired that way. My dad told me when I was a young man, son, you're German, so you don't have the full range of emotions. Just get, <clears throat> just get used to it. But um, I knew I was forgiven. Man, I was overwhelmed. I just couldn't believe it. Man, I'm not going to pay for my sin. I was so uh, just overcome with gratitude. I began to listen to that youth pastor uh, with a different set of ears because I'd only listened to the things that were for non-believers. I knew I was a non-believer, and I hadn't listened to anything else. And I began to listen to him completely at that point in time. And uh, what I'm going to share with you now is basically everything I'm sharing is going to be plagiarism. The things that he said to us that caused me, in a sense, to be backed into a corner I didn't grow up wanting to be a missionary. Uh, that was the furthest thing from my mind, but I couldn't get over what I was seeing in God's word. So let's pray, commit our time to the Lord. Father, we do ask, in fact, that this place would be a sanctuary this morning. Lord, that all the things that uh, hound us throughout the week, finances, health, education, papers, uh, relationships, all these responsibilities, that for these minutes that we are in your word, we might be completely about you and your agenda. Listen to your word as if it's the first time we've ever heard it, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Uh, would you turn in your Bibles uh, back to Matt, uh, Genesis chapter 11? <coughs> uh, those of you that are familiar with your Bibles, you'll re- remember that in uh, the first uh, 12 chapters of Genesis, Genesis, there's a lot going on. Forgive me, uh, my voice got messed up. Uh, my wife and I, about three weeks ago, we came back from Papua New Guinea uh, visiting the Itetis, and we still have not completely recovered from that. It's a gr- just a brutal trip, and being among them is a brutal experience. But uh, anyway, um, the, in Genesis chapter 3, uh, the first uh, epic uh, situation happens. That's the, the fallenness of man. Man sins, okay? And, uh, man, and God pronounces his judgment on that. And yet there's a, there's a remedy uh, right after that. In Genesis 3.15, God promises to send somebody to get them out of their mess. Uh, the proto-evangel, the first evangelistic message. Uh, the, the, the next epic uh, situation is in Genesis chapter 7 when God wipes out the world. Genesis 6, he commands Noah to build the ark. He does, Genesis 7. And he wipes out the world. And yet the, the antidote to that is given just a couple chapters later in chapter 9 where he promises never to wipe out the world again with water. And so we see these things uh, consistently happening. Uh, now the next epic situation is mankind's uh, next situation of rebellion. We see in Genesis chapter 11, uh, mankind had been commanded to disperse throughout the world. And yet uh, they decided to make a tower in direct disobedience. And so we'll pick up in Genesis 11 verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the men were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And he did a really, really, really good job of it. Uh, and, you know, the numbers vary as to how many thousands of languages there are today. But we do know this. There are roughly 3,100 languages on this planet with nothing, zero of the gospel. Nothing of the gospel. 3,100, give or take a few, languages. They don't have one verse printed. There are no missionaries targeting them. God dispersed the languages, and they're still very dispersed. But the antidote to this is in the very next chapter, in Genesis chapter 12. He's going to begin the outcalling of his special people. In Genesis 12, verse 1, the Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all families on earth will be blessed through you. The one thing that families have in common is not religion. Even as God dispersed the people based on language, he reaches down, he touches them at the, the, the level where they're most like him, made in his image, he says of us in Genesis chapter 1, because we're communicating people. God didn't create new religions to disperse the people. He didn't teleport them to different parts of the world. He didn't create agrarian versus educated high class. He, he didn't do any of those things. He touched them at the level of their tongue. And then when he wants to bring them back together again, the promise is going to be toward those and all Families on earth will be blessed through you. What's the one thing that the typical historic nuclear family has in common? Do they all have the same religion? Not necessarily. Do they all have the same language? Well, if they move far away, um, that's, it's, it's going to be the case. They have the same language because they were raised by mom and dad speaking that same language. They might have different educations. They might geographically move to different parts of the world, but they have the same language. 
Language is intrinsic to God. There's something about God that is very taken with the idea of every, as we sang wonderfully this morning, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. That is in the mind of our God. That is a significant thing. We see just a touch of this in the Old Testament. Turn over now, though, to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 25. As we talk about the Great Commission, what is the Great Commission? Is it accomplishable? The Great Commission is what those 24 elders are singing there in Revelation 5, 9, Revelation 7, 9. Every tongue, tribe, and nation. You're worthy to take the scrolls because people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. When the gospel gets to every tongue, tribe, and nation, will Jesus come back? I don't know. But we will have completed the commission that God left apart for us to do. We'll pick it up here. This is the night before Jesus was crucified. Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus told them, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Very specifically, he says, I'm going to go ahead of you into Galilee after I've risen. So, man, there's a lot of prediction going on there. He's given a lot of insight there. But it's a very specific location that he's saying, I'm going to meet up with you in Galilee. Now let's turn over to Matthew chapter 28. Between chapter 26 and chapter 28, he's been crucified, buried, and resurrected again. The the two women are going to go to the grave. They want to see if he's still there. Has anything happened? The two women arrive there, and it says in verse 5 from Matthew chapter 28, The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. That's the second specific reference to Galilee. What's going to happen in Galilee? Well, verse 8. The women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, grabbed his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the most foretold meeting in Scripture. Something epic is going to happen in Galilee. We have to remember at this point in time, man, for 1,800 years, God's command to his chosen people, those rightly related to him, was to stay in the land, stay in the land, stay in the land of Israel, the land of promise. Stay in the land, obey my promises, and you will be blessed beyond your wildest imaginations. Had they lived that out perfectly? Of course they had not. But that had been the command until this meeting in Galilee takes place. We don't know how many days. Was it a couple weeks? You just can't be sure. But at some point after this, they arrive in Galilee. It says in verse 16, <clears throat> Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So he had given them specificity on that. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. I'm so glad Matthew included that in there. That speaks to me. Some doubted. Folks, I have had... Countless, literally hundreds, if not more than that, of conversations with people that have said something of the variation, if I only knew, I would become a missionary. If I only knew. Yeah, Uh, let's talk about that for a second. Um, Folks, we're, we're doubting people. 
We are doubting people. We're, we're fearful people. I mean, man, I love the lyrics of our song, Lord, spare us from, uh, man, fear, fearfulness. Give us courage. Give us courage. Um, you know, when we think of uh, Abraham, excuse me, Moses going to the top of Mount Sinai. And Moses is at the mount, top of Mount Sinai, and he sees a bush over there burning. And uh, that's pretty rare. It keeps burning and burning and burning and burning. And uh, then a voice comes out of that bush. And the voice says, Moses, take off your shoes, for you're standing on holy ground. Does Moses go, is that really you, God? You know, I hear burning bushes talk to me all the time. Is that really you, God? Does he, does he doubt that it's God? No, he knows it's God. And he takes off his shoes. <clears throat> and then a little more interaction happens. And then out of the bush, the voice of God says, now I want you to go back to Egypt to get my people out. Moses knows it's God. And what does he do? Uh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> man, I don't know your name. Uh, I, I don't talk real good. He starts playing 20 questions with God. Finally, God has to put him in a half Nelson, slams into the mat, and Moses taps out. He knows it's God. And yet, he's a human being. He knows it's God. Man, Jonah, same thing. I want you to go over there to Nineveh and preach against it. Does he doubt that it's God? He knows it's God. Man, the wickedness of Nineveh had gone up and made God sick. He wants his prophet, his man, his guy to go to Nineveh and preach against it. What does he do? He goes 180 degrees the opposite direction. He knew it was God. Good friend of mine, Francis Chan. I appreciated him. Uh, one of the first Urbanas. It wasn't the first Urbana, but uh, an Urbana back in 2014. He stood up in front of 16,000 young people. He confessed openly. God spoke to me about pursuing a future admissions when I was in seminary. I was afraid. I was afraid. I've regretted it. Folks, I meet people in their 40s and 50s all the time. Missions conference makes them uncomfortable. Why didn't I do this? I loved the Lord. I knew his word. I had no good reason not to do it, except the reasons that were floating through my head. One, I was afraid. I didn't want to go to Oogabooga Land. When I was 17 years old, I had my life by the tail. I was captain of my school surf team. Had a great job at Kentucky Fried Chicken. Man, had an awesome girlfriend. Man, I had it all. I had my cool little red VW bug, lived two miles from the ocean. I was afraid. I don't want to go to Oogabooga Land. <clears throat> I just, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. And the amount of people that folks, and that's why, that's why we're talking about the Great Commission today, because there are many of you that can't do it at the age you're at. Man, be the church in Cambridge. Support these ones that you saw standing up here, and others, hopefully, that will do this thing. Be the church. Open your mouth. Be the witnesses here in Cambridge. Be the church. But there are many of you that are young enough and healthy enough to go to the very ends of the earth, to go to the tip of the spear, to go to one of the 3,100 language groups on this planet with nothing of the gospel. Don't cave into fear. Verse 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You know, we've read that verse so many times in missions conferences and other times it can become like white noise. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All, you know, it just kind of rolls off our lips. And folks, that's the most powerful preamble in Scripture. This is the risen Lord Jesus Christ saying, I am the Alpha, I'm the Omega, I'm the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you know the tone of his voice? And I got to translate the Scriptures into the language of the Itedi people. The tone of his voice is changing here. 
He is no longer the Jesus walking the dusty roads with his disciples. Hey, who do men say that I am? He knew how to have a conversation. He knew how to have a dialogue. Not here. The tone of his voice, Peter, James, John, sit down and shut up. I'm giving orders. I'm not starting into a discussion with you. I hung on that cross. You claim to be my followers. I bought you. I own you. So listen well. We need to understand who's talking to us. This is the risen Lord Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And because that is the case, go and make disciples of all nations. Leave Israel. Leave the land of promise. Leave the land of blessing. No longer do the nations come to you. Oh no. New rules. Folks who are rightly related to me, they go to them now. I remember when I was teaching at the Master's College in Santa Clarita, California, and the, uh, the, the Greek 101 and 202 boys, they would come up to me. You know, Professor Buser, uh, the go isn't in the command tense. The whole thing is a command. There's nothing negotiable in here. We go and make disciples of all nations. And what is of critical importance is this. When he says nations there, he's not talking about go to Germany, go to Papua New Guinea, go to China, go to Botswana. That is not the word nation here. The word nation is actually a phrase, pantata ethni in the Greek, the ethnically, linguistically differentiated peoples. That's the command before the church. We need to get strategic. We need to begin to target the ethnically, linguistically differentiated peoples. Praise God, thousands of languages on this planet have the gospel. They have translations. 3,100 languages, give or take 20 or so, have nothing of the gospel That is the challenge of the Great Commission. That is the challenge of this church. That is the challenge of your family. I appreciated meeting last night, man. There are a lot of people in this church that are interested in missions. But if this church is like my church in San Diego, you know what? The majority of the church slides by on the efforts of others. Our church has a great missions program. Where is it personally cutting into you? As a husband, as a leader of your family, where has, where has your Savior's heart to be honored among the nations? This is his last command. I think I mentioned my dad was in the Navy, 45 years. And I grew up in a home that understands orders. You always go on the last orders. Last orders supersede all other orders. At this point in time, Jesus is not at the end of his... When Jesus was here on earth, he talked about my responsibility as a husband, as a father to my employer, employee, to my finances, to my gifts, my talent. He talked about many, many topics. But at the end of his life, the supreme thing on his mind, leave the land of Israel and go to them. I want to be known by every tongue, every tribe, every nation. That is our Savior's dying command and request. That's his heartbeat. And he doesn't say, I want you to pray about it. I want you to consider it. I want you to look into it. I want you to do it. And virtually every one of these 12 men that were his apostles, they went out and did that very thing. Took them time. It took them a while to, 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 to realize what he had said. Can you imagine? <clears throat> I don't know who was leading, singing up here. The, who was, who's the name of the? Mark. Mark, thank you. Wonderful job. <clears throat> Can you imagine listening to Jesus say, go and make disciples of all nations. There had never been a prophet. Never been a priest, never been a rabbi. He'd said anything like this. Jesus is turning 1,800 years of Jewish history on his head. You're like, what? Go to the dogs? Go to the uncircumcised? What? It'd be like Mark coming up here next Sunday, saying, hey, you know, we're going to do something different here at Hesper Baptist Church. Uh, we're going to worship God naked today. So stand up, and uh, let's get in our birthday clothes. And some of the guys in the back, okay, Mark says to do it. Let's go. <clears throat> 
But the majority of you would be like, what? What? Man, what was Mark doing last night? That, That would go against everything that you know to be right and true. That's what Jesus is saying here. Everything you know about being rightly related to me and staying in the land, new rules. Those who are rightly related, you go to them. I want to be worshiped. I want to be known. I want to be honored among the nations, the Pantata ethnic, the ethnically, linguistically differentiated people. If you talk to any anthropologist, the number one component of ethnicity, language. Language is at the core of this thing. Our father wants his son to be worshiped in that way. Turn over to Mark chapter 16. We'll see Mark's rendition. It is important. It is noteworthy. It is more than noteworthy. That this Matthew 28 situation took place on a mountainside in Galilee. Tuck that away. Mark chapter 16 is Mark's rendition of this. He puts it like this in verse 15. After he said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Again, at the end of his life, Mark records it in that way. Turn over to Luke chapter 24. If we had time this morning, we would read the whole of Luke chapter 24 so that we could have the clear understanding of the context. Uh, At this point in time, uh, Jesus is now in a room with his disciples somewhere in the city of Jerusalem. Okay, uh, so that's the location. It's not a mountainside in Galilee. A very different location. It says this in verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Just let that sink in. Jesus opens their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He's going to lead them in a Bible study. How cool is that? At a level that they could not on their own understand the scriptures. Jesus opens their mind. I, I, I'm not even quite sure what that all means. I just know this, that Jesus is going to get to decide what he talks about here. He picks out two things. Of all the different topics in the Old Testament, he picks out two things. And he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Number one theme of scripture, the gospel. Not missions, the gospel. God looked down from heaven. He saw our need. He sent his son. We have a savior. We have life. That's the number one theme of scripture that Jesus pulls out when he gets to lead the Bible study. And the second thing that he pulls out and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, Panta to ethne, to every ethnically, linguistically differentiated group. That's what's gonna happen. The cross of Jesus Christ is the number one theme. The commission to take it to the ends of the earth. That's the next theme that Jesus sees in scripture. Folks, why do we do this thing? It's a command. We moved in among the Teddies and uh, within a few months, our second son, Brandon, he came down with malaria. We we misdiagnosed it. We didn't know what it was. Uh, He was about 16 months at the time. And uh, finally, we figured, you know, through some counsel over the two-way radio that it's probably malaria. So Beth, she crushed up some Camaquin pills, shoved them down his throat. He had a fever of about 102. Uh, He was, you know, throwing up at the time. And um, sure enough, a half hour later, he threw up those pills. And uh, so she drew up an injection of chloroquine, a much stronger medication, and gave him a shot of chloroquine. We figured, man, that's surely going to bust the fever. It's now Tuesday afternoon. The fever just keeps climbing. It's up to 103. Um, And surely the fever will break in the night. Um, 
yeah, woke up Wednesday morning. It's now 103 and a half. Uh, he's got, you know, fever and diarrhea and throwing up. She gave him another shot of chloroquine. About 12 o'clock on Wednesday, his eyes began to roll. And uh, we realized we're losing our son. And uh, I called out to the nearest missionary. His name was Tom. And uh, said, Tom, can you come and get us? We didn't have any way to get in and out. We are buried in this little hole in the jungle. Tom had a boat. We would have to hike hours uh, down the trail to get to Tom. And... Uh, now we just start praying, Lord, spare our son, spare our son. Um, and missionaries all that night were praying for the son, life of our son. We got up the next morning about 4 o'clock in the morning. I picked up Brandon. He still was hanging on by a thread. <clears throat> walked down the ladder of our house, walked across a trail. There was a bunch of teddies. We were going to go to the big trail that would follow the river down uh, to where we could get to Tom, where it was navigable. And uh, there were about eight teddy men standing there. And uh, I couldn't speak their language. There was one guy that could speak Melanesian, and I could speak Melanesian. And uh, so he served as interpreter. And uh, they're standing there. Obviously, they want to say something, so they talk to the interpreter guy. And he says to me, what are you doing? And I turned my son's head around. And I, like, uh, I said, can't you see my son? He's nearly dead. We're going to try to get him some help. And I said that to him, and he said it to the group. And you know what they did? They started laughing. <laughs> elbowing each other I was furious I was furious they were so cavalier with the life of my son I asked like, what are they saying Mm -mm. come on what are they saying Mm -mm. what are they saying and uh, said they're saying this he's dead already go back to your house he'll die completely this afternoon you can bury him here you'll have more kids grow up Folks, I, I will confess to you, I'm, I wanted to reach across and grab their little scrawny necks and pull their throat right out of their head. I wanted to watch them die slowly on the jungle carpet. I wanted to watch blood spurt out of them. I hated them. I hated these people. Why do we go to these people? Because they're so worthy. You saw the film. A soul in New Guinea is so much more important than a soul here in Cambridge. No, that, that's not why we go. A soul in either place is valuable to our God. They're all made in the image of God. They're not the supreme issue. They're part of the issue. Don't get me wrong. They are part of the story. uh, Just as a soul here is part of the story. They're not the supreme issue. The other thing that isn't the supreme issue is you and I. I want to. I don't want to. I'm called. I'm not called. I'm gifted. I'm not gifted. That's an interesting component, but that's, at the end of the day, not the decisive component. The decisive component is this. The God of heaven who sent his son, who hung on a cross, he has commanded us to do this thing. And so what do we do? What is our response? Yes, my God. When you have spoken this clearly, I don't want to do it. I don't know if I'm good at it. But I have to report for duty. And so what do we do? As obedient followers of Jesus Christ, we report to the leadership of our local church based on what Jesus said, I have to step forward. My life is in your hands. Should I do this? Your local church knows you. They love you. They will care for you. Do not make this decision on your own to unilaterally either pursue it or to take yourself out. That is a church decision. Your decision is to respond to the clear teaching of God's word. He wants to be known. I know there are many of you that just age-wise, health-wise, marriage-wise, you can't do this if your spouse isn't going to do it. There's a lot of factors. 
But there are many that are young enough and they are healthy enough. And the only reason not to do it is I don't want to and I'm scared. Get the thing called right out of your lexicon. The Apostle Paul didn't get the call until the middle of his second missionary journey. And the, the elders there in Antioch, they laid hands on him. That was a group decision at the church level. Folks, the call has thwarted so many people. Uh, I praise God for a youth pastor who never talked about a call. I didn't know because I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't know that if God wants to reach the people in China, I guess I'll get levitated to China. I didn't know that we all can't go. I didn't know that you had to get called. I didn't grow up knowing those things. I grew up knowing you obey commands. My Savior, the one who hung on a cross, who grateful, man, who, who paid for my sin, he wants to be known. Okay, that's what I'm all about. People have told me on the various ways, Brad, you're so passionate about missions. No, I'm not passionate about missions. I'm passionate about surfing. That's my passion. But I'm passionate about my Savior too. And he's all about this. I've had people tell me, well, I'm a, you're about missions. I'm about worship. Well, who are you worshiping? He said some things. He wants to be known. We need to get the fogginess, the vagueness out of this thing of the Great Commission. Talking with Sean yesterday. You know, sometimes I think if you've grown up in a church, I, I've realized this because I didn't, but if you've grown up in a church, missions can become like the national debt. I don't know, maybe Canada doesn't have a national debt. But down the, I suspect you do. <clears throat> but we sure got one down there in the USA. And the, you know what? We will never pay that thing off. We'll just kick the can down the road, kick the can, kick the can, kick the can. And that's kind of how we look at the Great Commission. We'll just have missions conferences forever. We don't have to have mission conferences forever. We can actually see every tongue, tribe, and nation reach with the gospel. And then God will have another thing for us to do. Fair enough. Let's get the clear thing that he put before us to get done. Let's get that done. Let's take the fogginess, the fuzziness, the vagueness out of this thing of the Great Commission. I remember being at a, uh, my wife and I were at a banquet uh, on one of our furloughs. And uh, a well-known guy, I appreciate him greatly. Uh, He's done much for the cause of Christ. Uh, The the big churches in San Diego, they were going to honor him. And uh, so anyway, we got tickets to this thing and I had to wear, you know, nice clothes. My wife had a brand new dress on. And we're sitting out there eating raw, cold turkey. And he's up on the die. You, you've been there. And uh, all the big pastors in San Diego are there. To, and they say, saying all these nice things about him. And uh, then he stood up to accept the uh, award. And as he, he said about 15 minutes of his own remarks. You know, if you talk up here for 15 minutes, uh, you're going to say some things you regret. I will hear on the way home from church a few things that I should have phrased differently from my dear wife. <clears throat> but he made this statement. He makes a statement. He said this. Make it your highest goal in life to raise Christian kids for the Lord. People start clapping, then they start standing up and clapping. And um, eventually, I'm the last guy not standing. I'm clapping, but I stand up and clap. Like, what? Make it your highest goal in life to raise Christian kids for the Lord? What's wrong with that statement? I'm not fast on my feet. And so on the drive home to our house, it hit me. And they kind of like saying, make it your highest goal in life not to sell cocaine. And you over there, make it your highest goal in life not to burn down the Capitol building. And over here, make it your highest goal in life not to get involved in human trafficking. Isn't that kind of like Christianity 101? Hello, duh. Of course we raise our kids to live for the Lord Jesus, to love the Lord Jesus. That's not our highest goal in life. The fact is we don't get to lay out our highest goal in life. Our highest goal in life was given to us by the one who hung on a cross who accomplished our redemption. 
And he says, whoever calls me Lord, your highest goal in life is to get the gospel to every tongue, every tribe, every nation. Where do you fit in to his highest goal? We don't get to lay out our highest goal. We were bought at a price. We are owned by another. He gets to decide what our highest goal is. Turn over to Acts chapter 1. We've seen it on a mountainside in Galilee. We saw it in a room in Jerusalem. Now, the, the day of his ascension, we see him communicating the same thing on a mountainside outside of Jerusalem. <clears throat> on the Mount of Olives. This is the last time Jesus interacted with them in this way. It says in Acts chapter 1 verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They had a very valid question based on major and minor prophets and their, their understanding of what the prophets had said that following the coming of the Messiah, Israel would be restored to national greatness. It was a very valid question. Uh, they wanted to have a Bible study on end times. They wanted to talk about eschatology. Nothing wrong with talking about eschatology. But Jesus knows this. Hey, John, you're standing there, and later on, you're going to get some revelation, and you're going to be writing a lot on that. So you'll get that then. There's a guy right now, he's walking around. His name is Saul. Uh, he's going to turn into Paul, and he'll write some stuff on end times. So you'll get that then. That's not critical information. They wanted to talk about end times. Jesus knows he has a chance to put one more topic in their ears. So what does he talk about? End times? Parenting? Marriage? A thousand other worthy topics? Mm -mm, no. And so he responds to their well-intentioned question. He says, not now, boys. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. The biggest mic drop in the history of the universe. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. Boom, 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 boom. Out of here. Can you imagine how that message was seared into their heads? You know, based on this passage here, if Jesus shows up in the pulpit next Sunday, it's Mission Sunday again. No matter what's in the bulletin, no matter what you're expecting. The thing he wanted ringing in their ears and in our ears as his bought, chosen possessions. I want to be known. I want to be honored. And I will be worshipped among every tongue, tribe, and nation. That's what your Savior's about. Some of you are young enough and healthy enough to do this. And we've got a whole crew of people that can pray and give. And folks, let me, uh, let me for the older ones who can't go, we work till we drop. We have a commission, a command before us. We have a task before us. And we will work so these young people don't have to travel all over Canada and the USA to get support. We will work till we drop. I'm part of a fellowship of men. We've purposed men. We're never retiring. We can't do the same things that we could in our 30s and 40s. But we work till we drop. We're earners till we drop. Because there's a cause. Because the one who shed his blood, the one who we're going to stand before, the one we will answer before, you did what with your life? You knew my word and you did what? Folks, there's no turning back the clock. We can't go back. I get that. Let's live now in light of his clear command to be known. Let's lead our families. Where do we fit in? You know, we've skated by on the coattails 
of Hespeler Baptist Church no longer. Then you go to the leadership of this church. What more can I do? How can I participate in this? Some of you have kids, grandkids. You can raise your children like my wife's parents raised her. I had no idea who I was marrying when I married my wife. They raised her to be expendable for their king. You're expendable, honey. They didn't say those words when she was five years old. We raise our kids with our hands open. Take my child. Use my child. Not for five years. Not for ten years. Until the church is planted in that language group that's never had access, no matter how long it takes. Folks with separations that have come upon our family, and I'm not going to go into the whole list. We decided a long time ago that little house on the prairie, is that's for heaven. We retire in heaven. We rest in heaven. We get rewarded in heaven. We're not living for now. We've pushed our chips in. And if heaven isn't real, what a cruel joke. Like Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, man, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, man, how pitied, how pitied we are to be among men. But folks, heaven is real. And Jesus, excuse me, Paul did say, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It hasn't entered into the imagination of mankind what God has prepared for those who love him. You know what that's code for, that's short, shorthand for? It's worth it. It's worth it to walk away from your dream, your goal, and embrace his dream and his goal. It's worth it. I'll close with a true story. Um, You guys saw on the video, uh, we had a big airstrip. Uh, I was telling the folks last night or somebody last night. um, In in making that airstrip, uh, I lost so much weight, I did not recognize myself. It's really hot out there. It's between 100 and 120 every single day of the year. Uh, We get 300 inches of rain a year, so it's hot and humid. And working in that heat and humidity, I got down to 152 pounds. I weighed that in junior high. And... um, Anyway, brutal work. Uh, because of the amount of rain, we, we had to d- build big ditches on the side of the airship so the rain wouldn't <clears throat> get the, the airship all mushy. The pilots don't like that. They crash on mushy airstrips. And uh, so we had a, a, a ditch on the far side that we dug at once, and it was like sand, just pure sand, and it was real, real easy uh, to make the, the, the big ditch over there. But the ditch over on this side had huge boulders in it, and so we couldn't get it down far enough, and it kind of slowly meandered, and it never cleaned itself out, and so we'd have to go down every, <clears throat> every three or four months and redig that ditch. And it was a horrible job. Uh, I'd hire a few teddies. I had to go down there with them. And uh, man, you'd get bit by thousands of mosquitoes, man, hundreds of leeches, a razor grass coming in, a, a uh, this other uh, vine that has little sharp needles coming down out of the trees and it'd pick off pieces of your skin and chunks of meat on your neck. And you get done working down there for five or six hours and you were a swollen, bit up, a bloody mess after a few hours doing that. <clears throat> and then a wonderful thing happened. I did that job for years. But a really, really cool thing happened. My little boys, they got big. <clears throat> and the ditch became their job. They would come back from the boarding school uh, where they went, and that was a hard thing. And they were away from us for Man, many, 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 many years, uh, back and forth, back and forth. But they'd come back from the boarding school. We'd have a big party. I'd take them out hunting. Beth would make pizza, and we'd have a Coke, you know. And just had a party when our kids would come back. I mean, it just was a wonderful day. And then uh, sometime in the night, uh, in the evening, I'd say, hey, boys, tomorrow's ditch day. 
you suck, you're the worst dad in the world, blah, blah, blah. Bile and venom coming out of them. You're the, uh, man, man, if we were back in America, CPS, they'd take us away from you, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> whatever, whatever. Next morning, I'd get up before I went translated and taught or whatever I had to do. Uh, I'd go into their bedroom and I'd shake their bunk beds. I'd say, ditch day. Same thing. You suck. You, we hate you. Blah, 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 blah. But you know what? My boys knew their dad. My boys knew their dad. And because my boys knew their dad, I never came back to the house at 11 o'clock to have a coffee break for myself. I never saw my boys sitting in the house saying, Dad, you know what? We prayed about the ditch and we didn't feel led. <laughs> oh, Yeah. That's going to fly. Dad, we, you know what? We went down and we visited the ditch. No. Dad, we, we sang songs about the ditch. Dad, we shed tears over the ditch. You guys have dads. Those things don't fly. We have a father in heaven. And he will ask you, in light of what I said, you did what? You made what the focus of your life? You had access to many Bibles. You were literate. You knew what I wanted. And you did what? We have a father. He loves us. He's not out to crush us in a mortar and pestle. He loves you. He has good plans for you. They're hard plans. But he knows that for the majority of people here who at the end of the day, they want to give honor and glory to the Lord God Almighty with their one and only life. He knows you want to be used by him. He will allow you to go through what it takes to be used by him. Paul would say many, many times, let no man cause me trouble. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He will let you suffer in front of the people that you will be going to so the gospel has credibility. He does it because he knows that you want to give honor to his name. Talk to your church leadership. Don't wake up. To, you know what? All you have to do to keep going with your life is just walk out of here. Don't talk to a church leader. And you'll wake up at 40, 50 years old. Why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do that? Happens a lot. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church. You know how rare it is in this day and age to actually take a whole Sunday, a whole week, and talk about your heart for the nations. Lord, I pray your blessing on Hespeler Baptist Church. I pray your blessing on the leadership of this church as hopefully they will be inundated with men and women seeking direction as to what to do with their lives. We know not all of them are meant to be overseas. That is surely not the case. But there are some. Lord, give these leaders wisdom beyond themselves to give great counsel to those who step forward to obey your great commission. Use this church in a mighty way here in this community, here in Ontario, and yes, around the world among peoples that have never heard of what the Lord Jesus did. Bless them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.